Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Well, good morning again, Northlanders. Welcome to hour number two. Kenny, we got that guy uh, named Peter Wood in the studio there with you yet? I think I'm here, Brad. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm here physically. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing hey, really good. You must have called me at some point last night because when I got up this morning, I uh, looked at my phone and there looked like your number on it. Yeah, I get these ideas and then I think, I'll call him. And then after I got done, I thought, shoot, he's an hour ahead. He's probably in yeah. bed. <laughs> I was. <laughs> but I had this idea. I don't, I'll just run it by you right now. I get these hairy brain ideas. But how about this? Um, All right. During the show I'm on today, well, we're on, not me, but while we're on, who's ever listening the farthest away in the continued 48 states, how yeah. about if they let you know where they're listening from, I'll send them two free T-shirts. What do you think? That's a great idea, but here's the deal. I don't want to put Kenny to too much work with people calling in. So oh, no, here's what I'm no, going to ask. I can handle this, Bradley. Can you? Can oh, you are please. you sure? Are He's you sure? Because I was going to have him email me, but if you can handle it. How about either way? Well, because, because here's the deal, Peter. Yep. We are streaming live on Facebook, and we are getting comments from people from Arizona, from Texas, from Florida, from all over the place that are listening to us. We, we got, I got one. I got a personal message the other day from a guy from Fort Dodge, Iowa. Hey, uh, I'm a former Duluthian. I listen all the time. Thanks for having the show streamed, blah, blah, blah. Oh, So it's a great I, idea. I guess I really stepped in it. This is going to cost me a little bit of postage, <laughs> isn't it? It might, it might I was be. thinking maybe Washburn or something like that. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. I'm sure we'll. But here's the deal. It'll only be a pair of T-shirts. So, yes. And you will send them I'll to mail them. them. Postage yep. paid yep. to any location in the country. So here's the deal. We have two ways. If you're listening this morning, either on the regular show, streaming, if you're listening on the Internet, no matter where you are, either call Kenny at 218-722-7500 or simply drop me a line at Brad period Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, at M-W-C radio. That's one word, M-W-C radio.com. And give me your address. Tell me where you're listening from and that you'd like a couple of T-shirts from Let the Sawdust Fly. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And at the end of today, we'll try to figure out where the person is that uh, is, was listening from the furthest. This is a little spooky, Kenny, because remember we had that one guy contact us from Russia? Well, we had another guy contact us that was listening in, uh, where was it, uh, uh, Thailand someplace. That's why I said the continuous 48, because I thought, I don't know, yeah. this could get out of hand on me in a hurry. But we could change yeah. it every time I come on. We could make it, okay, who's ever doing this? 
it's just kind of like a little game, a little fun stuff to have people listen in, you know. But uh, the farthest and the continue 48 states, and then I'll mail you two okay. free T-shirts to whoever it is that Brad or Kenny claim is the farthest, okay? Fantastic. All, all right. right. Now. All right. We're set. All right. Now, now that we got, got that out somebody, of the way. Uh, you got somebody you want to introduce that yep. you brought in with you today. Yep. I brought former retired John Vogel. He's former commissioner for St. Louis County who has a wealth of knowledge about uh, land and land swaps and what's going on in that and he's still as spry as ever could be and maybe i'll poke him a little bit to get him really riled up and maybe he'll start throwing things at me i don't know but I, he's a little bit older than me but i think i can handle it but anyway yeah, he's quite a good bit morning older. john good morning good good morning brad good to hear your voice uh, and uh, i think we met a long time ago but uh, yes I, we did yeah yes. and i, I just I, can't I, remember I the circumstance remember yeah so, yeah. uh, so we you worked with the land department. Now, maybe explain a little bit uh, b- between you and Peter, kind of what your job was, or what you, uh, how you guys came in contact with each other. Well, I managed the uh, tax forfeited land department uh, in St. Louis County, uh, and the title was land commissioner, and that goes back uh, post World War Two. Uh, when that title was uh, formally put in place. And I I did that for almost 20 years, uh, but I've uh, been retired for nearly 20 years now. So, uh, you know, you know how the memory goes. It kind of dries up over time. (laughs) 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 But there's still enough of it left there that I think I can uh, be useful. So I'm going to try to help him uh, along. uh, he has some questions about this land swap, and uh, what specifically is it you, you'd like to know? Well, I'm I'm thinking, for example, the the land swap that I'm most familiar with is the one that's going on now up in the BWCA. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you explain what that's about at all? I think there's land in there that that they would like to use, that they would like to have, that's kind of in the school land trust or something now. Yeah, on that, Brad, that's why I wanted John to come in because he knows a lot of history of it from many, many years gone by and where it actually started and the ideas of how it came about so we can bring people back in the past a little bit and then bring it up to more present because... We, we he's got the knowledge, the wealth of knowledge of how it actually started germinating. Yeah, okay. it, uh, it's not just one source. Uh, those lands uh, that are uh, not federal lands inside the BWCA come from various sources, mostly uh, from uh, federal grants. Uh, I believe there's some land in there from the original grant when Minnesota came into statehood. Uh, so the, the, uh, it's typical when states came into the Union that they were granted uh, blocks of land, and I believe some of that is in the BWC. In addition to that, however, and what we hear a lot about are the school trust lands. Uh, when, yeah. uh, uh, and there are school trust lands outside the BWCA, and there are school trust lands inside the BWCA. WCA. Those on the inside, and I know there's some close to uh, between Tower and Ely on the north side, south of the Echo Trail, there's quite a block of school trust lands in there, and I think there are some others. Uh, those are, There's quite a bit of land. And uh, it, over the years, uh, it's been talked about to swap these lands for other lands, but land swaps are not easy. Uh, you know, there's an old saying: you got to be careful; you don't get a horse for a rabbit, or a rabbit for a horse. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
and, and uh, there's always the people who are responsible or the recipients of the value of those lands are always concerned about uh, are they getting full value and sure. uh, it takes a lot of negotiation to end up uh, with people agreeing on the value so that's that's what's going on right now, and I'm not sure exactly where they are in that swamp. I know we tried back in the, uh, I believe, in the 70s or 80s. We were in negotiations on land swaps, and there were some little ones made, little pieces of land here or there. But the big okay. blocks, particularly the school trust lands, we got to be, uh, you know, as far as the schools are concerned, you got to be sure that you're you're getting a, a, a you're getting a rabbit for a rabbit and a horse for a horse. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it maybe even go a little bit further for our listeners because some of them that, that might be listening this morning don't understand this the term school land trust. Uh, that was set up uh, originally by as part of the I, I think wasn't it part of the Iron Range uh, pr- program uh, to use money to help fund schools that would come out of the use of the land. Yes, absolutely, and and uh, since there were large blocks of land inside the BWCA, obviously uh, there wasn't a whole lot of income coming off from those lands. Uh, were they valuable? We always used to joke a little bit and say, yeah, they help hold the, uh, hold the world together so it doesn't fly apart. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, you know, there was nothing happening on those lands other than uh, some of them were key to uh, portages uh, from lake to lake and things of that sort. But right. th- where was the monetary value? The monetary value, uh, there was no income. And uh, if we can successfully perform a land swap, uh, and it's a fair land swap, well, these lands can be producing income. The lands that are acquired for these lands, which are inside the BWCA now, would end up in federal ownership, part of the wilderness area. But the value of the lands that are outside the BWCA that would be acquired uh, would hopefully produce income for the school trust and or for well, the state and, of Minnesota. Well, and Peter, uh, Peter, this is where you come into play a little bit. Part mm-hmm. part of the income comes from with the government uh, putting leases out or, or putting uh, agreements out to log certain parts of those lands. Yes. And they receive uh, money to help school fund the schools through the sale of the log of the logging rights. Yeah, on. There's a percent- yeah, there's a percentage that goes to the schools as well to the colony. Um, what takes place is with this with the situation with the land and the BWCA, we cannot access it. So it becomes like a, like a trapped piece of land where the colony, it sits stale, the state, it sits stale and it becomes a part of the BWCA. Well, if we could take and put that, let's say, so to speak, in uh, layman's terms, we could take that land and swap with land just on the outside of the BWCA for that land, and then now it becomes into the market system where the county can harvest it, the loggers can harvest it, and we get it starts generating dollars for everybody as a whole. Otherwise, it sits there, it's stagnant. You can't do nothing with it because it's basically it's trapped in a, in a, in a way. You can't access it. If... 
if you could helicopter in and out, maybe then you could, but I don't know if you could even then because you're inside the BWCA. I don't think you could still do it. Well, no. Exactly. I don't know how you'd, you'd have to do the old-time logging thing, uh, cut them, put them out in the water, and float them downstream to some other location. Yeah, we'd have to go back 100 years, you know, and be, I don't know if I want to do that yet. <laughs> no, no. Here's a little bit of the history. One of our listeners this morning sent me this. Uh, there, there was a. This is called a permanent school fund history. When Minnesota became a state in 1858, section 16 and uh, and 36 of every township was set aside in trust for the benefit of schools. The state could use, lease, or sell the land to raise money for education. A permanent school fund, PSF, was established consisting of uh, accumulated revenues from the land with only the interest money to be used on a yearly basis. So so that's kind of how this whole thing got set up is when the state got uh, when the state got founded, they set up sections 16 and 36 of every township that they could use that land to benefit the schools of that township. That's exactly right, uh, Brad. As, as a matter of fact, we always refer to those as school sessions. Right. It's like concessions, but sessions? As school yep. sections. Sections. So, uh, so today they're trying to swap out some of the lands inside the BWCA that aren't used for recreation, maybe aren't right on water or whatever, and make them uh, more functional, make them be able to generate money for the schools up in the Iron Range area. Is that kind of where this goes? Uh, that's exactly where it goes, Brad. And uh, there are folks in the past who said that, uh, that perhaps uh, the county and or other ownership should retain some of those lands. But the practical reality is that if they're to be valuable and serve uh, a useful purpose, they should be swapped into those blocks of ownerships. Right. No, okay. no with this, it, it does take a long time. John is referring back to like the 70s where it was probably initially started to be publicly talked about. It's still being talked about, but to do these things, it's a long, long process. So it still may take a long time, wouldn't it, John? Yes, and as, as most of our listeners would probably remember, uh, the same process actually went, went through that with uh, Voyager National Park. Uh, there were uh, school trust lands in that area that had to be swapped. And uh, we're going through that. But it takes takes quite a while. You have to determine the value of those properties. And that's not real easy to do. And then any special considerations. Uh, by the way, sure. Brad, uh, some of those uh, school sections, uh, 1636 lands, had been swapped in the past. Uh, you know, little ah. bits of it here and there. Um, for uh, road construction purposes, things of that sort. So there, it's okay. not as simple as it sounds. It's not quite like a monopoly game. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, guys, uh, we've got to take a break here this morning. Uh, but before we do that, I want to remind all of our listeners, if you're listening to this segment this morning, Let the Sawdust Fly, and you would like a couple of free T-shirts mailed to you free anywhere in the United States, if you are listening outside the Duluth area, if you're listening on the Internet, on Facebook, down in Arizona, Florida, wherever, 
Simply either call the station, call area code 218-722-7500. Let Kenny know your address, where you're listening from, or email me during the show at Bennett at mwcradio.com and let me know where you're listening and what your address is, and we'll figure it out, Kenny and I. Uh, who's listening from the furthest area away, and at uh, and then we will give that information to Peter, and he will mail you two free T-shirts, and you're going to love them. They got a guy on the back with a chainsaw and says, "Let the sawdust fly." Uh, so we're going to take a break. By the way, uh, I have got my first comment uh, from our listener. Uh, we have a listener, believe it or not, this morning in Shatek, Wisconsin. Isn't that where you said? No, I said Washburn. Washburn. Oh, you said Washburn. Okay. Yeah. Washburn's not very <laughs> well, far so, away. It's a suburb of uh, Bayfield, but not too many people know okay, about well, it. Okay, well, I'm not sure where Shatek is, but we have a uh, we have a listener, Robert, listening in Shatek, and he sent me his address. So I'm not sure where that else, is, actually, is, to tell you I the truth. I don't know exactly either, but... Uh, Sounds like about the size of Canyon. <laughs> no. <laughs> Canyon's yeah. in Minnesota. Shateka's in Wisconsin. I knew it was close. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But anyway. Okay. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get back to our discussion. Yep. I have one more piece of information on the Boundary Waters uh, exchange here. Uh, the Minnesota Office of School Trust Land, they uh $4 million in federal funding has been provided to purchase Minnesota School Land Trust located within the Boundary Waters canoe area. And this was part of that omnibus $1.3 trillion federal budget that recently just passed. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of why this issue is on the front burner right now, guys, is because uh, there is $4 million of available money to be able to buy this uh, or to be able at least to start to acquire the land. I guess what comes to my mind real quick, real fast, without looking into it at all, is buying up more land in Minnesota, which should be still rightfully Minnesota's land, not federal land to me. You know? And so I get cautionary when I hear those kind of things a little bit. Yeah. You know? But anyway, um, there's. I always like to talk about the past a bit because it, it kind of can tell you about the future a little bit. And like sure. John's family, he, he never, he, his dad started in the timber industry a little bit up here. He's got some very good stories about that. And then we could keep coming forward a little bit more about the present, how he's, how, because All right, John's just uh, a little bit older than me. Not much, but a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> he's got stories that I've never heard. Okay. And, and I always find it neat because it's, it's, it's like you can, you can learn a lot from the past because the future, it changes, but. There's still a lot of tentacles there of the past. If I'm making sense right now, I don't know if I am. Yeah, you're right. I am a little bit older. I'll not see 85 again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, uh, John, let me ask you to hold your story just for a minute, because we do have to do our Fox News break at at a regulated time at the bottom of the hour here, which is now. So think up a couple of good stories. But now remember, you want to keep us on the radio. Don't be thinking up any stories about the old days when loggers went into the, uh, you know, the ladies' houses here in town or any of that stuff. Well, okay? we might as well go home now. <laughs> oh, Evans, no. Okay. All right, we'll be right back after the Fox News break here. 
giant redwood, the larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the laboratory. On Wednesday I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I'll tell you, Peter, we can never get away from that song. If we let Kenny dig around a little bit, I knew he was going to come up with that version. It's, just, it's stuck, and it's never leaving now. Do you no, still consider yourself the... a lumberjack? Uh, some ways, yeah, some yeah. ways. I don't know how, I guess it's been ingrained so much my whole life that, you, yeah, logger, lumberjack, it's, it's the same terminology. It's just a different word for what you really are, but... If you went back like 50, 60 years ago, it would be lumberjack. And now it's been logger. And you're also, all at the same time, you're a businessman too. Or you have to be, I don't know hardly anything about computers really. I can turn on my own phone and that kind of stuff. But uh, as far as some people, they know how to go through computers, unbelievable. But you have to be very computer savvy as well. You oh, have, yeah. You have to be business savvy. You have to see... I guess see the game before it happens because otherwise well, you're going to get and caught Well, and Peter, short. don't you, uh, Peter, don't you also have to be a little bit of a mechanic to keep all of your equipment uh, running? And- you got to be a lot of mechanic. Yeah. You got to know because if it's down, you got to fix it right here and now. Because if a machine goes down, you need to be able to fix it fast and right away. We have the capabilities in the woods to make our own hoses, fix our own stuff. You have welder torches, that kind of stuff. You guys, you got to get it up and running right away. It isn't like it was back, you know, 100 years ago when, like, uh, John's dad came into the being of uh, being a lumberjack. It's totally different today, but he's got some very cool stories of his dad that he's, he told me, and I just laugh. But, you, John, you should tell the story about your dad and the lumberjack. That was cool. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, let's hear this one, John. Let's hear this. All right. I'd be happy to tell you. Uh, my dad was uh, a young man about oh, 19, 20 or so. And uh, back in those days, young guys had to, had to find their way in the world. He was the uh, youngest of 12 children, so, uh, uh, and his mother died when he was young, so he learned to cook and this, that, and the other thing. And like most young people, he wanted to get out of the house. So off he goes, and he found himself a job up on the North Shore, uh, um, uh, somewhere just south of Grand Marais, uh, up in uh, somewhere near Good Harbor Hill. Anyhow, there was a logging camp up there. So he goes into his logging camp, and he, uh, he was very good with horses. So what, what was his best skill? His best skill was as a teamster. Uh, and, of course, he used horses for skidding logs in those days. Sure, sure. Uh, so very first day, he, uh, they get up, you know, well before daylight and, and uh, eat their breakfast and took care of his breakfast. And then he had to take care of his other uh, daily constitutionals. So. <laughs> kind of the thing I just did here, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, they had outdoor facilities in those days. So before he did that, though, he stopped at the company store. And he, being a young guy without m- much in the way of anything, he bought himself a new, brand new pair of gloves. That's 
now that's all the money he had. Oh, he, yeah. He, so he bought himself a nice, warm, brand-new pair of gloves. And off he goes to the Biffy, and and he uh, takes, gets off his big, heavy winter coat and hangs it up and, and takes care of his business, and he it gets all done. And he struggles to get his oh. coat back on, and, and, and he finally gets his coat back on, and he looks over, pick up, bends over to pick up his gloves, and there's one brand new glove laying in the Oh, I see this. This is coming. This is not going to be good. I can tell. <laughs> so he, he doesn't know what to do. He hasn't got any more money, can't buy any more gloves, uh, but he's really disgusted. And he said, what in the world is one glove going to do for me? So he takes that glove and pitches it down the hole with great gusto. (laughs) Stands up, turns around, opens the door, walks out, and what does he see lying in the snow? The other glove. (laughs) One brand new shiny glove. (laughs) <laughs> no, I asked an old uncle one time, I said, you know, my dad was sometime uh, known to bend the truth a little bit. So I asked my uncle, I said, is that a true story? And he says, oh, absolutely. He said, I happen to know it's oh, a true story. <laughs> I'll tell you what. That's great. That That is really great. Hey, I've got one almost in that vein for you this morning. Peter, you started this challenge of people yep. calling in or letting us know and the furthest one away. Well, this one, well, first of all, I found out that the uh, the Chatek is somewhere between Hayward Area Lakes and Eau Claire. Okay, yep. So that's where that guy's calling from. Wow. But then, but then we got a more local one. But his story is so good, it may demand a a pair of T-shirts. Okay. Let me just lay this to you. The guy's name is Gary, and he says, Sure don't think I have a chance to win a shirt. Uh, Sitting uh, sitting up here in Ganesa and Grading Roads, to get a signal up this far north, it first must bounce off the moon, return to Earth, hit a tree, and then land on the antenna of my grader. Uh, that's a that's quite the story. <laughs> Ganesan's not very far, but it is interesting. No. Yeah, yeah. So he says. So he says. So the story was creative enough. Maybe it's worthy of a T-shirt. <laughs> well, we'll have to discuss it after, Brad. We'll see what you say. Okay. Holy cow. Oh, John, that was a great story. Uh, I'll tell you what. (laughs) It brought back a lot of memories for me of situations like that in the service where people have weird, weird things like that happen. Uh, I can imagine your dad seeing that glove. And then he probably got so mad he took the other one and threw it down the hole with him. (laughs) I'll bet he did. I never heard that part, though. He ended up being uh, the cook. And uh, because as a young lad and the fact that his mother had uh, passed, away uh, when he was young he had learned to cook and they had a lousy cook in that camp uh, and the guys were really mad uh, at the cook they weren't happy with the food and I remember him saying that uh, that telling the guys well even I could cook better than that well guess what he ended up being, gonna... <laughs> being the cook <laughs> they ran the cook out of the camp and made him the cook yeah, oh, these are man. lumberjacks. You brag, you're going to be put in charge now. That's okay, right. You're I just be doing the good. got a phone call from somebody that took exception to the term lumberjack and said a lumberjack runs a sawmill 
and a timberjack is in the woods skidding, etc. Oh, well, uh, the, the the lumber, the sawmill, he would be a sawyer. He's sawing timber, uh-huh. uh, sawing the logs, okay? Timberjack terminology, actually there was a skitters made and harvesting equipment was made called timberjack. But it could be argued back and forth quite a bit, but I don't want to get in too far into that. But uh, actually for sawing lumber with a sawmill is a sawyer. So, but anyway, it's a Sawyer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, but uh, it was one thing that John has seen many changes from when you had the outhouse biffies to where it went through the '60s, the '70s, '80s, and how it's has progressed to where the the individual lumberjack, logger, whatever you want to call, um, was one way. And today we still harvest the trees, but how it has changed vastly from what he has seen from when I was just a child or before my childhood to where it is today and and how he has seen it from his eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's really important, Brad. We, we need to get that idea across. Uh, the, the, the work that goes on in the woods today in the, in the field is nothing like it was even 30 years ago. You know, no. uh, we live in a really high-tech world, and what hap- what's happened to the profession of forestry and to the profession of, of uh, managing out in the woods, including harvesting uh, is uh, like from night to day. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I remember as a young lad uh, talking about as a, what's going on. Are we ever going to know what's on the moon? And of course, we went to the moon a long time ago. <laughs> and the same kind of progress has occurred with uh, uh, harvesting and managing forests. Uh, I have a degree, in, a professional degree in forest uh, management. And what I've seen in my 50 years uh, of being around forestry and forest management and logging and lumbering uh, has gone from night to day. It is so far beyond what it was back when it got a bad reputation oh, that yeah. uh, there's no comparison. These people are professionals. Uh, uh, the loggers and, and harvesters today are very professional. And, and uh, uh, admittedly, we did a lot of things wrong. And if I were doing, if I was still working today and doing things the way we did them 30 years ago, I'd kick myself in the backside because we have so much uh, more information and technology to do things properly. Uh, it's yeah. like night and day. Well, John, uh, I want to thank you for coming in this morning. And, Peter, thank you for bringing yeah. John on. It's been very enlightening. We're still getting uh, some emails and calls in on from people. Yep. So we will let you know uh, within the next day or two. I'll send you a message, uh, Peter, and let you know who we're going to have to send T-shirts to. Yeah, if you could Again, send it to me, been... their name and address and what kind of yep. t- size and that. And we'll get them out right away because we want people to get it what we promised. So no, I just want to thank all the listeners out there and people willing to give us this opportunity you and Kenny for the opportunity to just talk about our industry so everybody out there can understand just a little bit more about what really goes wouldn't, on. Uh, wouldn't miss it Peter. It's one of my highlights of the month to have uh, the Let the Sawdust segment on so uh, we well, appreciate you. your time as well. I really well. mean that. Thank you. 